Hey guys, um, I know it is a little, oh goodness, a little late. Sorry, I had my little lamp on there and it was a little bright. Uh, but I wanted to get two things done this evening. Um, I've been working hard on some business projects and uh, with Christmas coming and things, I had some deadlines, but I got that done. And I wanted to get our heavy revy done and then I'm going to get off and I'm going to get right back on and get into some constitutional training that should not take long at all. Uh, I'll also have those videos as I go through the materials I created months ago with slides. Um, I did a test run the other night. I'll have those on our website. Um, so Drina, if you're watching, uh, let's me and you get together when it's time to get all of those on the website. Uh, I have a certain way I want to do them. But uh, first we're going to talk about the, I'm going to turn my little lamp on so I can uh, see the, the scriptures better. We're going to talk, continue our discussion about the beast out of the sea. And I recommend that you listen to part one, which is located uh, on my personal feed, but also uh, in our um, Destination Church podcast. And they're also on our website, the Hub Apostolic Training Center com because I explain in part one what the beast is a lot of people think it's a person and it's it's not however it is ruled by a person it's a kingdom I go into the other nations that are considered um, antichrist in nature by how they treated Israel and they are the seven, um, I think it's, a, is it the seven heads? Yeah, the seven heads. I get into the ten horns. Um, we uh, look a lot in Daniel uh, for references there. So now we are back to the beast in verses 5 through 8. And remember that God views the kingdom and its ruler as one. Okay? And so you'll notice there's, you know, different, like, when we read verses 5 through 8, it's obviously speaking of a person. Uh, other uh, locations, it's speaking of a nation or a kingdom or a coalition of nations. And so here it says in verse 5, The beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given over authority to rule over every tribe and people, language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast for the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, the book that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. Okay, so the first thing I want to um, point out is where it says um, the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. This is not referring to every human alive. Uh, and I'll prove that in a passage that I'm about to read. What it's referring to are those who belong to the world system. Those that have bought into that system. They like the system. They're part of the system. 
and their allegiance to the system is seen where they worship the beast out of the sea that was uh, dead and then resurrected. And again, I explained what that is uh, in part one. They're, they're all in in this situation, okay? And there's going to be Israelites who uh, the nation, uh, the beast out of the sea, its ruler breaks covenant with. And we know he does that in the mid uh, treaty, which is at three and a half years, because the treaty is seven. He breaks the, the treaty with Israel. And then the next 42 months wages war. Now, um, a lot of people think that the God's holy people and conquering them is referring only to the Israelites. And I go into detail in uh, our Daniel Company series, which is on the podcast. Uh, and I'm also going to show you where the catching away or what most call the rapture takes place in the book of Revelation. Um, but it includes us because Daniel talked a lot about the saints. The only way to be a saint by the New Testament definition, the age of grace of which we are in, is you must be born again. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, you must be born again. Man, all of a sudden I'm itching back here. So a saint is one that is born again. So if he is waging war against the saints, then that means there's some saints on the earth. So you have the Israelites who may not be born again, but they're not going to follow the Antichrist system. Then you have the Christians who obviously, hopefully, are not going to follow the Antichrist system. Some might. And then you have those that are without any loyalty to any God, but they don't like the Antichrist system. They recognize it for what it is. And uh, they're not going to take the mark too. The majority of people are going to take the mark, but there's going to be some that are not born again that won't. And I'll go into more detail uh, on this as we go through the book of Revelation. But um, in Isaiah 65, when I learned this years ago, um, it was through actually John Bevere and... I had never like considered this passage in the light that he um, discussed. But here in Isaiah 65, 17, it says, Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation, and look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Now, we know that this will be fulfilled after he creates the new heavens and the new earth, which is detailed in Revelation, I believe, chapter 20 or 21. It might be 21. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. Now, this is interesting. Our timeline is post-new heavens, new earth. That is the end of all, meaning we've already had the second coming. We've already had the uh, tribulation. Uh, and Let me put it in the order. So we've already had tribulation. We've already had the second coming. 
Uh, we've already had the resurrection of the saints and our catching away. We've already had where the Lord um, kicks butt and takes names. And we also have where Father destroys uh, the enemy with the breath of his mouth when he's let out after a thousand years. And yet we were going to have babies. We're going to have people that won't even be considered old at 100. So that has to mean that we're going to have two species of people. The first species, which are able to take part of the, the first resurrection because they're blessed, are us. So all believers, dead and alive at his return, will receive resurrected bodies. We will not be um, tempted ever. We have ran our race. We will not procreate. You don't procreate uh, in your resurrected body. Um, we will be rulers over the cities uh, and nations. And um, we, we can't be killed. We're resurrected forever. But the ones who did not receive the mark at his return, who were not born again, are going to still be on the earth. But because of his presence, their bodies will be energized with life to where a hundred years old won't be considered old. I mean, if you look at the uh, beginning, you've got, you know, people that live 900 years, 700 years, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and so death, uh, I, I mean, it says only the cursed will die uh, young. And, uh, and it says, in those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed." I will answer, answer them before they even call to me. While they're still talking about their needs, I'll go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. So we see a return to Genesis. If you look in uh, Joshua, I believe it's... Um, chapter two, it, it might be chapter three, but it talks about when the Israelites crossed over the Jordan. And I've discussed this in past teachings. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. It was um, harvest time. The Jordan empties into the Dead Sea. So the end of the age, there's going to be a lot of death because of the enemy's um, activities. And when the priests dipped their toe in the water carrying the ark and the people were 2,000 cubits behind them, the waters stopped and then they rolled back all the way to a city named Adam. Now, you cannot miss the prophetic significance of this. So this right here is the realization of the curse being rolled all the way back to Adam where the conditions pre-sin are restored, okay? So, and I don't have all the answers and how all of this works. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Now, the other one is Isaiah 66, 23. Very, very interesting. But let actually, let's start with verse two, uh, 22. As surely as my new heavens and earth remain, so will you always be my people. So again, he's putting the time frame 
at the new heavens, new earth that is at the end of Revelation. With a name that will never disappear, all humanity will come to worship me from week to week and from month to month. And as they go out, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For the worms that devour them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. All who pass by will view them with utter horror. So basically, people will be able to see into the lake of fire as a reminder not to rebel against him again, which implies there has to be people on the earth that are not in their resurrected bodies like we will be. In Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. So again, Isaiah is placing it post-defeat of Satan. And uh, so those that are part of the first resurrection, that's why we're so blessed. Because any temptation, there is just non-existent to those that are in resurrected bodies. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. The enemy is the tempter. He'll be destroyed. Well, Adam and Eve fell. They were already... Okay, let me back up. Why were Adam and Eve next to the tree they weren't supposed to eat? If if they had no desire for that tree, they would have been as far away from it as possible. Yet the serpent, which is actually... It wasn't really a serpent. It was a, a type of um, being. A fire is what it means. Um, spoke to them because they were by the tree. And he knew they were ready to sin. So all he did is give them the little nudge that they needed. Then, whenever the Lord sets up his throne in person, everybody gets to see him. He rules the nations with the rod of iron. And then when the enemy, who has been bound for a thousand years, gets out of prison, he's paroled, right? He finds people that want to join him to fight against Jesus. You don't need the devil to be tempted. And so uh, angels, Lucifer, was tempted before he was Satan. So part of the blessing of being resurrected is we cannot ever be tempted to sin. But those that do not have a part in the first resurrection because um, they were not born again, but they didn't take the mark, they are going to be able to procreate. They're going to be able to raise their children. They're going to experience the blessings of having God dwell on the earth and us ruling nations with him. But they will always be subject to temptation. Therefore, you can look and or they can look at the lake of fire and be reminded of why it's a really bad idea to disobey God. Okay, so it's a very interesting thing. I wasn't taught any of this um, as a you know young believer or in churches. I've never heard this taught. Again, the only time I ever heard it was John Bevere. And when I heard him teach it, I'm all, what? You know, and I decided, you know, I always study things on my own. I don't take other people's word for it, but it just rang with truth. And so the more I dug in, the more I found it was accurate. Okay, now... Um, Let's see, where do I want to go back to? Um, let's look at Daniel 8.8. 8. Now remember, Daniel saw some things and 
uh, or saw lots of things and some things he could not um, share. And, uh, and then I believe that John saw the things that Daniel couldn't share. And then there's even some things that he wasn't allowed to uh, tell us. And, um, and so those things that John saw are being kept for that last generation that's coming. Well, here in uh, uh, Daniel 8, we're going to read verses 8 through 14. The language should be very familiar to us. It says, the goat became very powerful. But at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. Then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel. Its power reached the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. It even challenged the commander of heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. The army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion. So the daily sacrifice was halted and truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard two holy ones talking to each other, and one of them said, Well, how long will the events of this vision last? And how will be how will the rebellion that causes des desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple and heaven's armies be trampled on? The other replied, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, and the temple will be made right again. That date was um, the 25th of Kislev in 164 BC with the Maccabean Revolt. Now, let me, um, you know, kind of give a refresher because I went in depth in what all this means in Daniel. The goat with the large horn was Alexander the Great, which, by the way, I got to go to Greece. In Athens, there is a statue to Alexander the Great on one of the major um, thoroughfares. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's so neat, you know, to be there. And even though it wasn't a religious tour, to be able to see, you know, like, I was like, wow, I'm in a nation that Daniel prophesied of, and I'm seeing a statue to a ruler that I've studied in the word for, well, I was born again in 89, you know, so what, 30, um, uh, 34, 35 years, 34 years. Pretty crazy. Okay, so Alexander the Great, he died suddenly in Babylon, and out of his death, four generals uh, rose to power, and it divided the, uh, the kingdom into those four parts. One of the four horns was from the Seleucid Empire, and out of that empire came Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, if you mention Antiochus Epiphanes to any Jewish person who knows her history, they'll probably shudder. Because Antiochus Epiphanes was the ruler that Daniel is talking about here in uh, Daniel 8, 8 through 14. And what he did is he invaded Israel. He went to Jerusalem. He stopped the sacrifices. And then he put uh, an altar to Zeus in the most holy place. And he sacrificed a pig, which, I mean, I cannot imagine what the Jewish people were thinking. 
I mean, it must have been horrific. And so the Jews caused that, the, uh, called that the abomination of desolation. And so what happened is, I think it's John Maccabee and his sons raised up a revolt. They actually pushed uh, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, out. And then at that moment in history, Rome came in. Uh, and by the way, Antiochus died suddenly, just like Daniel said he would. Rome came in and they were the next superpower. But what's interesting is how the abomination of desolation is described. So it is, its power reached the heavens. So this is Seleucid uh, or Antiochus Epiphanes as an antichrist uh, uh, ruler. The power, its power reached the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. It even challenged the commander of heaven's armies by canceling the daily sacrifices offered and destroying the temple. The army of, uh, of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion. Now, again, I went into detail what that means uh, in the series on uh, Daniel called the Daniel Company. That restraining is what Paul is referring to when he says that which is restraining. There's actually um, a an it and a he that is involved in that. So I go into all of that. So if you want to know what is restraining, you need to go to the Daniel Company and listen to that series, especially when I get like to chapter eight, etc., because I get into all of that in detail. It's a geopolitical situation. It is not the removal of the Holy Spirit, and it is not the removal of the people of God. Okay, um, now, because Antiochus Epiphanes' abomination of desolation was in the memories of the Jewish people when Jesus came, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, it would have immediately triggered, what? We're going to have that happen again? They would have immediately thought of Antiochus Epiphanes. So we know from Jesus' own words, there is another nation, another ruler, who's going to make a treaty with Israel for seven years. And in the middle of that treaty, he's going to break it. He's going to declare himself as God. He's going to desecrate their temple, which I do lean toward there probably will be a third temple. And he's going to stop their daily sacrifices. And he is going to make war against them. He is going to make war against us. So this, in God's mind, is an all-out assault against him personally. There's also going, you know, a behind-the-scenes heavenly battle going on as well. But he's going to be allowed to continue and to have authority for 42 months. Not from the devil, but from God. God is going to allow him to have 42 months to serve specific purposes that he has in mind. And he's going to restrain heaven from responding to this desecration and this persecution of Israelites and Christians. Okay, so I hope, uh, you know, some things are becoming clear. Now let's finish up our text uh, for this evening in um, Revelation 13, 9 through 10. It says, anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution uh, patiently and remain faithful. Okay, 
So there are some that are destined for martyrdom. We know that Peter was told how he would die. It was definitely martyrdom. Um, he'd be led where he didn't want to go, and sure enough, he was. Uh, his wife was actually killed before him in front of him. And uh, the legend story is that um, while she was, uh, I'm pretty sure she's being crucified, um, he said, remember him. He kept just encouraging her, remember him. You're about to see him. It's going to be okay. And, uh, and then when they went to crucify him, he requested to be crucified upside down. So uh, some will be uh, martyred. Now, John, on the other hand, you couldn't have killed him if you tried. That dude was boiled. He was uh, set on fire. I think he was thrown off a cliff. They finally just exiled him to Patmos. And then he gets the book of Revelation. <laughs> just You could not kill this dude. Um, but the good news is that if you are called to suffer uh, a martyr's death, there is a, an anointing, a supernatural power and grace, uh, faith to do so, as well as a special reward for laying down your life. Okay, now the second beast, so we've studied the beast out of the sea. We now have the beast out of the earth. So this is in uh, Revelation uh, 13, 11. It says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of the lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. So he's going to look very Messiah-like, very prophet-like. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. So again, we're referring to a nation that is led by an antichrist ruler. So I believe the nation is the one that was healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down from uh, 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 to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fairly wounded and then came back to life. Now, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, as a representative of Babylon, remember he had a statue made of himself. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so they could speak. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do that. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must uh, die. Uh, so at first I thought that this was possibly the Antichrist um, that is ruling over the beast of the sea, that the beast of the sea is a nation and that the beast of the earth is a person. I don't know. There might be some um, validity to that. Um, I could see that this beast would act as the Messiah. He would act as God. Um, and that seems to be what he does. He operates in the supernatural um, power. Uh, so, you know, I could go that way. I could also... Um, see that this would be a false prophet that works alongside the Antichrist ruler of the beast of the sea. I've not yet decided. What I do know is in Second uh, Thessalonians, it does say, um, in chapter 2, Then, oh wait, no. This man, verse 9, will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles 
he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So this actually goes along with our text here in Revelation 13. Uh, so that's why I'm just not willing to uh, nix the idea that the beast out of the sea is the actual nation and the beast out of the earth is the Antichrist who comes with lying signs and wonders and rules over it. And he does declare himself as God. And here in Revelation, he is portrayed as uh, the lamb with the two horns, which, um, again, is kind of interesting. Um, now, the um, two horns, obviously, is similar language to the goat with the large horn that was broken into four, blah, blah. He speaks with the voice of the dragon. He had the same authority as the first beast, implying that he is the ruler of that. So, again, it could be um, one's a person, one's a nation. He will require all the earth to worship uh, himself or the first beast. He's able to perform miracles. He deceives the people and he makes a statue uh, and gives it life. Uh, now, I want to read. Um, let's see. Let me just give you this context because we just read verse 9 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, let me read verse, uh, verse three, the context, uh, of this passage in chapter two is there were some people that were telling the Christians that the uh, second coming of the Lord had already occurred and it was causing a lot of trouble. And, um, so Paul's like, okay, first of all, there are specific things that must occur before he returns. Okay. So he says, invert, you know, to heck with it. Let's just read it. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming, which is the second coming of our Lord Jesus and how we're going to be gathered together to meet him. So you got two uh, events, the second coming and the catching away. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun, implying that on the day of the Lord, two events will occur. He'll return and we will meet him in the air if we're alive or will be resurrected if we're dead. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. And don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come, number one, until there's a greater rebellion against God. And number two, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. So this is the Antichrist. Antiochus Epiphanes was a picture of him and what he was going to do. He's the one that will do the abomination of desolation. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple claiming that he himself is God. So where you had Antiochus who put an altar to Zeus, this dude is going to walk into the temple and say, I'm God. You got to worship me, right? And then he said, don't you remember that I told you all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he cannot be revealed only when his time comes. That's a restraining situation going on. Uh, for the lawless one is already at work secretly, uh, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The Lord will slay him, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now the statue, when we go back to Nebuchadnezzar and his statue, so he, he has this dream of the golden head, the chest and arms that were sil silver, the belly and thighs were bronze, the leg and the feet were uh, iron. And so he built a statue out of gold, I believe in his own image. And 
instead of seeing that all the kingdoms represent would be destroyed by the kingdom of God, because that was the interpretation of his dream, he only heard that he was the best and brightest of all the kingdoms, right? So he made all the ethnicities in his kingdom to bow to the statue when music started playing. If they didn't, they would be executed. All but three Jews bowed uh, to the idol, worshiping Nebuchadnezzar as the god of Babylon. Now, uh, in Daniel 3, 19, it says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with these three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that his face became distorted with rage. Now, this is interesting. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. So the word for image that Nebuchadnezzar built, the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and the face here in verse 19 are all the same word. Meaning that his face became distorted in rage. And it was the same as the face in his dream and the face of the statue. Okay, so let me rephrase. It's a uh, reiterate. So the word face, the word for the image that Nebuchadnezzar built, the statue, the statue in his dream, and now his face that is distorted in rage that they did not worship him, are it's the same word. Okay, now distorted. In the Aramaic, it's an Aramaic verb, and it means to change. Now, listen to this. This is the definition according to the Complete Word Study Dictionary Old Testament. It is used in an extreme case of a human heart, get this, guys, changing into the heart of a beast. See, guys, this is why I love studying the Word, okay? Nebuchadnezzar was seeing the beast. Nebuchadnezzar built a statue to the beast. Nebuchadnezzar's heart was changed into the heart of a beast. Nebuchadnezzar lived like a beast for seven years. Isn't that interesting? Interesting, okay? Um, now, in, okay, so basically what it means is Nebuchadnezzar's heart went from human to the heart of a beast or an antichrist, right? In Daniel 4, 19 through 27, it says, Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Don't be alarmed by the dream. Tell me what it means. He said, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great, and your greatness reaches up to heaven, and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals in the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to the Lord, uh, my king. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. 
<clears throat> but the stump and the roots that were left in the ground means that you will receive your kingdom back when you've learned that heaven rules. And then Daniel says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Man, I wish everybody would listen to that. Um, all of us need to take that to heart. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But we already know that Nebuchadnezzar had the heart of a beast when he did that statue and when he uh, his face was contorted with rage. So it was too late. Um, his internal state was about to be external. So in Daniel 4, 28 through 32, it says, but all these things did happen. 12 months later, he was walking on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I've built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of this world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So the Antichrist throughout history have been beastly in their heart. They've been savage. I find it extremely interesting that King Nebuchadnezzar was a beast for seven years and we're going to have a beast ruling for seven years at the end of the age. There's so much prophetic significance. Okay, so in uh, Jude 8 through 11, it describes beastly nature, okay? Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil... When he disputed over the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they've gone in the way of Cain, they've run greedily in the error of Balaam for prophet, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So here we see that they're brute beasts that corrupt themselves. Well, the word brute means without reason, okay? You can't, you can't reason with them. They're like Isis. They're like Hamas. You cannot reason with these people. Now, I don't have time to go into why. Um, outside of this, there's actually some covenant stuff going on. But they live by natural instincts that are debased and low. They're like wild beasts. And then the word corrupt themselves, corrupt means to bring to a worse state, they become deranged in their thinking and believe their own lies. And those who refuse to follow them or, or uh, believe them or follow them must be destroyed. The word corrupt also means to destroy or punish with, with destruction. So their corruption is going to bring about their own destruction, just like Nebuchadnezzar being a beast for seven years. Thank goodness he came to his senses. All right, so in Revelation 13, 16 through 18, it says he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was, neither, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. His number is 666. I don't think John knew who the beast was. Like when he says... Wisdom is needed here. Let someone with understanding solve this. 
All he knew is he heard 666. Okay, so it's either uh, the meaning of, uh, let's see, the number of the beast. Uh, it's the number of man. So it's either the name of the beast or a number representing his name. I don't think Paul, or I don't think John knew. And so he's like, hey, whoever has the wisdom to solve this, solve it. Well, he probably couldn't know because he's not in the time that we're in. Uh, Tommy Ira Yomi has a great teaching on that. Just search uh, for him and Islam, I believe. It's like a, um, it's a long teaching, but it's worth watching. It's one of the most interesting I've ever seen. He kind of gives his theory on what the, um, the meaning is. But what we do know is in the original language, the word mark is a meaningful mark, whether engraved and printed or branded, a mark showing one's relationship to the beast or a mark of loyalty to the beast or a mark to the party of the beast. Hand was originally from the shoulder to the end of the fingers and the forehead is above the eyes. So the, the mark is either the name of the beast or it's a number that represents his name or it could be both. Only those who have a clear mark of loyalty to the beast will be able to buy or sell or operate anything in the marketplace. So, you know, the enemy was thrown out of heaven doing, due to corrupt trading practices, according to, I think it's um, Ezekiel 28 or Isaiah 14. Well, the Antichrist is going to take over the marketplace. Um, so, understanding here is a psychological faculty of understanding, reasoning, thinking, and deciding, or the mind. Solve means to calculate it or figure it out. <laughs> so basically, John's like, figure it out. Because whoever has that numerical value is the final world ruler. I bet he was very curious who that was. Um, okay, so that's it. I'm going to get off here, and then I'm going to come back live on my computer with a slideshow. Uh, on some very interesting things I've learned on the Constitution. So this will be our launch of a constitutional study. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I've been waiting to do it for a long time. So I'm going to bid you uh, farewell on this. And then I'm going to get back on, barring any technical, excuse me, issues. And we'll dive into a short lesson on some very interesting constitutional things.